Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 270. And joining us today are Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, and Jessica Ray. We've got a couple of new vehicles uh, recently on our lot we're going to run through. Uh, we're going to save uh, some comments about uh, an update on our long-term fleet towards the end. And we've got a, a lightning round and a viewer question from Anthony. So let's get going. 2002 Hyundai Santa Cruz, the other compact pickup truck that is doing battle, I assume, with the Ford Maverick. Brian, would you like to take us through the Santa Cruz and you know, kind of give us some comparisons in your thoughts uh, between the Santa Cruz and the Ford Maverick while you're doing it. Uh, yes, sir. 2022 uh, Santa Cruz. Um, uh, like you mentioned, one of two compact trucks we now have to choose from. Uh, we talked a little bit before about what it looks like, but it's basically the front half of a Hyundai Tucson uh, with a small bed, very small four foot bed uh, on the back of it. Uh, sort of looks like the Subaru Baja, if you remember that, original Honda Ridgeline, even Chevrolet Avalanche a little bit, and that it's got that diagonal line that goes uh, from the cab down to the bed, uh, sail panel, if you will, instead of having like a sharp cutoff behind the cab, uh, like a normal truck would. It's got the cool Tucson grill, uh, big blocky uh, grill with the headlights actually behind it. That's really cool if you haven't seen that yet. Uh, four-door crew cabs only. Um, now, despite looking less like a truck compared to the Maverick, I think uh, as far as comparisons, I think the Santa Cruz actually outtrucks the Maverick in a few ways, primarily uh, powertrain department. Both the standard and the optional upgraded engines are both more powerful than the Maverick. Uh, you can get up to 2.5 liter turbo and the Santa Cruz is 281 uh, horsepower versus the Mavericks 250 in their two liter turbo. And you can tow a thousand more pounds, 5,000 versus 4,000. Obviously the Mavericks hybrid powertrain uh, blows anything the Santa Cruz has away and starts about five grand less, I believe. Yep. Um, so uh, I would say the uh, Santa Cruz has a really trick bed to it. Um, much like the Ridgeline, it's got the huge underfloor storage. It's got an integrated tonneau cover. Um, the Maverick has more of a traditional uh, bed. Lots of tech inside. Uh, very comfortable to drive, easy to park. I think, J-Ray, you've probably driven it a lot more than I have. Maybe you can add some more on what it's like to drive. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really fun car to drive. Uh, we had, I think, the 2.5-liter turbo engine. Um, probably the most disappointing thing I think about it was just like the gas mileage, which is just inevitable with, with that engine. Um, I want to say, like... who said it's not a truck? <laughs> <laughs> well, she just called it a car and then said it get fast, get bad gas. Mileage, so. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it was so, it was really fun to drive. I can certainly see where it's appealing to a lot of people, um, who live in cities where it, uh, they just have a little bit of space to park a vehicle. And, um, you know, certainly even though that we can compare it to the Maverick, it's not like a complete 
total, like these two vehicles are competing against each other because they are being marketed to two very different demographics. The Maverick being like, this is a actual work truck that if you, you know, you wanted to buy it for business, you could certainly do that. And if you're making deliveries in a city, something like that, the, uh, Santa Cruz is actually not even being called a pickup, uh, very similar to how like the carnival isn't being called uh, a minivan. Oh. Uh, the, the Santa Cruz is being called a sport activity vehicle. So they're really looking to the younger demographic who lives in a city, but uh, gets out on the weekends and wants to get out and explore and do things that require a little bit more uh, of a, a vehicle that can, you can put a bike back there kind of, and you can store things and it's rugged and you have that tonneau cover and um, you know, so it's, it's marketed a little bit differently, uh, certainly than the Maverick. I was going to say, according to car manufacturers, there are like two types of buyers, the young urban people who, like you just said, like to get out of the city because everybody lives in cities and do adventures. And then like their parents who are empty nesters and want to spend money on luxury cars. That's the only two type yeah. of people who exist. <laughs> this world. You know, I have to say, I like the interior of the uh, Santa Cruz. I thought it was very modern and, like you said, very techy. But, you know, if I was going to go out and buy, say, replace my old Ford Ranger, you know, I want something that's a little more minimalist and rugged looking like the Maverick. So, you know, between the two of them, I think they do a really good job of covering almost all the potential buyers. So, interesting. Uh, let's move to the other end of the automotive spectrum. Jessica, we're going to head to you for the word on the 2022 Mercedes AMG SL. Yeah, so um, this car was really amazing. Uh, I had the opportunity to drive it before Christmas uh, in December, but haven't been able to talk about it until now. And I actually drove the AMG SL before I drove the AMG EQS. So I don't know if that was necessarily the best thing to put you like in an AMG with like a nice loud engine up on the twisties. And then the next day I drove like a completely silent vehicle. Um, so it was certainly an interesting like juxtaposition. Um, but this SL is what they're, they're, Mercedes is referring to it as the rebirth of an icon. Um, I'm sure you guys would know more than me about the uh, legacy of the SL and what that means to the Mercedes-Benz brand. Um, well, it's probably one of their one or two most historic vehicles and really, to a lot of people, the first real definition of a luxury sports car. Yeah, yeah. And so it's sort of, Mercedes says, that it, you know, carries the motorsport genes of the original SL and certain aspects of the original SL. Um, but of course, it's completely new and uh, doesn't carry over any components from any other vehicles. Um, it's has uh, it's actually the first time it has all-wheel drive, um, and it's actually a two plus two uh, roadster. So, it, you know, it's a two plus two, but it the seats like I couldn't really fit in them. They're more like you could put a little dog. I think back there or just like luggage back there. I don't think I would, I would want to spend extended periods of time in that rear seat. Um, but very, ex very expensive uh, luggage will be very cushy. 
<laughs> have a very cushy ride. Exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, the, you know, SLs are sort of known to have that like uh, usable rear area for stuff. So they kind of, you know, modernized it a little bit. Um, so it is only comes in a convertible. So that cuts off a lot of weight. They really wanted to shave a lot of weight from it because it is, uh, it's quite, um, it's a big car kind of, but oh, like yeah. not at the same time. So they've, uh, you know, they want the lower center of gravity. Obviously they've just focused entirely on the driving experience. Um, the, the soft top also, you know, reduces noise and it's lighter than it was before. So, um, and you can, uh, it takes 15 seconds to put up and down and you can do it at 37 miles per hour. So fancy. Um, there's two versions of the SL. There's the, uh, SL 55, and then there is the SL 63. 55 gets you 469 horsepower from the bi-turbo V8, uh, which, and then the 63 gets you 585 horsepower, which, uh, and I, I, I don't have a ton of experience in, uh, a lot of Mercedes, like 63 models, but, I would say that the 55 was a bit more enjoyable and the 63 was a little bit over the top. Um, and oh, it should be uh, right. And I feel like that's the, that's the consensus. Like the 63 is usually just like way more than anybody ever asked for needs or wants to really experience. Um, but the 55 was just like, so incredibly fun to drive. That engine sounds gorgeous. Um, it also has standard rear axle steering. So um, that was really interesting, um, which Mercedes seems to be doing a lot. And of course, I think it is a, it is a convertible. And we now know that Mercedes new interiors have these really, really big center screens. Um, if you've seen our reviews with uh, the S-Class, um, you'll, it's that, it's that, I, I want to say it's like 20 inches, something absurd. And of course, um, since if you have the top down, you can adjust the screen up or down to make sure that you do not have glare on the screen when you're driving. But, uh, nice. but yeah. Yeah, 63, that uh, too much is always just enough when it comes to uh, <laughs> AMGs. Um, yeah, I, I would love to drive drive that. It's the first time you you can get all-wheel drive in an SL, which uh, I think that will appeal to uh, some people. And uh, this it also has the AMG version of the active ride control, which is amazing in that it, I think it adjusts the suspension like a thousand times per second, basically. Uh, yeah. making sure everywhere you go is uh, smooth uh, or firm as you want it to be. It's about Great. how many decisions I make when I'm trying to make a decision. I'm like a thousand different decisions <laughs> at once. That's just because you're a, uh -huh. a young dad. Well, it's just, it's funny that I was making a joke without even realizing the next car we were talking about earlier, where we talked about the two types of people in this world. And we just exactly highlighted it. The young people who are driving the, Santa Cruz on weekends and now the uh, empty nesters who want a fun car uh, which you know I have no I didn't drive it I'm kind of jealous that Jessica did forget what I was doing at this time but I didn't get that <laughs> trip um, but yeah I mean it's um, 
back to the whole the the split between an AMG 55 and a 63. Um, those 50s are really speaking to me these days. I assume that's still the the inline six cylinder that they would use with that one, or is it the? Um, I, I'm starting to get, I'm I'm confusing myself now with AMGs. Is it the 40s that get the six cylinder, and then the 50s get a slightly less horsepower V8? Yes, Robinson. Uh, somebody, somebody. The same, because I was gonna say that the fifty-five is definitely V eight. Yeah, the fifties okay. are still V eight. The forties. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, yep, that was my mistake. I know they there is a six-cylinder they throw in there, an inline six-cylinder now with AMGs. Um, but yeah, it's um, you know everybody's trying to hit every possible niche, and you know even luxury roadsters that appeal to actually, I mean, relatively few amount of people, they're still trying to gather as many people as they can. But you yeah, know, Greg, that go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was just say, like in the uh, AMG coupe, you can get like the uh, 63 and then the 63S. It's kind of like that. Uh, it's still that same four liter engine. It just cranked up more in the 63 right. than, than in the uh, 55. You know, uh, you made an interesting point with probably didn't even realize it, Greg, that here's Mercedes pumping tons of money into things like the EQS. And they've still got the money or the wherewithal or whatever, the intention of letting one of their most hallowed uh, vehicle lines, the SL Roadster, uh, not go away, spending the money to do it pretty much from the ground up, all new. And this is in light of the fact that they just discontinued the SLK. So this is the only Roadster they've got left. But... I think it sends a signal that even that these companies like Mercedes and BMW and probably Audi that have vehicles that span the markets are not going to give up on their established markets just because they're going EVs. I think I it's think, a, a bold vehicle. I think they would alienate a lot of their customers if they did, because oh, yeah. I mean, as much as we're talking about EVs, it's still a, a point of contention for many, many car fans. And if you just, got rid of something like the SL and just abandoned it and said, Hey, we're just doing electrics. I mean, I think you lose a lot of customers who are going to still pay you a lot of money for your cars. Yeah. I mean, I think it's unfortunate that this only comes available as an AMG just because the styling is so good. And I, it was so fun to drive. We don't have pricing out for it yet, but it's going to be something absurd, you know, that, that, only if you will be able to afford and if but if you were able to buy something like this for like under a hundred thousand dollars that uh that would be awesome but that's that's the only biggest bummer i think to me i think all these car prices are starting to be a bummers for a lot of people but it's still fun to look and think about them and we get to drive them i know hey yep. before we uh get to uh, greg and his review of our long-term fleet um which has thankfully been expanding lately. Uh, lightning round. We've got uh, folks out there would like a, a comment from each one of you on what's going on with the F-150 Lightning reservations. Now in early January, Ford officially started to convert the F-150 Lightning reservations into solid orders with dealers. But shortly after, the automaker warned that their dealer network might be putting unexpected markups on the final orders. And they warned the dealers that doing so could provoke uh, a lot of discontent and might even affect how many of the regular trucks they get. 
They also suggested that dealers add a no sale provision to contracts to prevent buyers from flipping them in the first year. What do you think about all those restrictions and, and is this really hampering with uh, free enterprise, et cetera, et cetera? What do you think? Well, I like the first part. I don't like the second part uh, because it seems like the first part Ford, where they're trying to keep dealers from putting stupid markups on cars, which is really just running rampant right now for uh, a variety of reasons, but uh, it's nothing new to put a more, a higher price tag on cars they know people are going to want. Uh, and it kind of, you know, kind of screws some people over who really want the car and then it just gets worked out of their price range. So I feel like they're trying to protect the consumer on the, with the first point. Uh, but then they're kind of going the other way by putting a no sale uh, provision on there because then it's like, all right, well, now you're telling the consumer what to do once they do buy the car. Okay, well, what if I, I mean, I, I put a deposit down site unseen uh, you know, I was one of the first in line to get this car uh, or the truck. I don't like it. And I mean, there's no, there's nothing that's going to change my mind. You're telling me I got to hang on to it for a year and eat the cost and maybe not make my money back. Uh, I, I don't like that at all. Um, I get where, I mean, I know Ford ran into an issue with the GT, I think with John Cena, like a year or two ago where he bought yeah. a GT and that's different because it's so I mean, out of so many people's price range and like, it's more of like a business deal for those two, because, you know, they, John Cena is seen in a Ford GT and he gets a Ford GT more earlier than somebody else. But this is just like regular people trying to go out here and buy this, this truck. So uh, I think that's, they're walking a fine line there. So to short answer, I like that they're trying to rein in dealers a little bit. Don't like them trying to tell uh, buyers what to do. Yeah, I appreciate their effort, but the two go hand in hand. I mean, it's a limited supply. We've seen it already with the Broncos. People are flipping those first edition Broncos big time on eBay, 15, 20 grand, 20, 25 grand uh, easily. And, but so if there's money to be made, uh, why shouldn't the dealers make it? Why, you know, why uh, keep people from, from making it? Cause there, there's no way to enforce those no sale uh, provisions. So um I, yeah i think that's the last thing in the world a dealer wants to do is be seen suing you know their buyers yeah i mean i think it's just really unfortunate uh I, this really spawned from um uh, some posts that like went viral um in some forums <laughs> for the lightning of of people who had made reservations and when they were finally able to commit them to an actual order dealers were saying, well, um, we have this many allocations and if you want to keep your, if you want to be able to convert it to an order, you're going to have to pay $10,000 more. So, um, clearly that made a lot of people unhappy because they were expecting to buy a truck for, you know, they've made a reservation for this amount of money. And obviously none of that is completely guaranteed. But, um, you know, Ford does have a responsibility to make sure that their consumers and the people who are going to be buying their vehicles are going to be happy. And um, I also think it just kind of goes to show just how powerful dealers really are. And like, it's not like Ford can go and say, stop marking up your cars. They can't like, this is what Ford, this is really all they can do to sort of stop that because they have they really don't have much control over 
who sells their cars. Um, Jaw boning boning is the only thing they've got left because most states prohibit the manufacturers from, you know, telling the dealers what they can do. Yeah. And, and right now it's hurting consumers just because, I mean, everything is marked up. Pretty much everything is going to be marked up at this point. Um, We get comments that say, uh, you know, we'll give a price of a vehicle and they're like, well, you can't buy it for that right now. Well, yeah, that's because there's a global shortage of chips and supply chain issues. Um, So in normal times, this in normal times, if the F-150 Lightning was launching when there wasn't a global pandemic and supply chain issues, this probably wouldn't be a problem. Um, but also, and I, to end it here, um, but Ford has also, I think, I think doubled their production of the F-150 Lightning to, they announced that they doubled it. So uh, they're trying to do everything they can <laughs> to limit the amount of uh, money that dealers will mark them up and to get them to consumers at a reasonable price. I just want to add something to your comments. Um, uh, uh, Here's a practical story that shows that if you want a vehicle bad enough, you can find it at at least a reasonable price. A friend of mine was going to buy a luxury SUV and the local dealer, and actually every dealer he talked to within his region was looking at five to $8,000 on top of the MSRP. And he went on to, I guess, Auto Trader or something like that, found a dealer in another part of the country and bought it. He knew what he wanted. So it's a new vehicle. It wasn't like he needed to drive it. He had already test driven one. So he bought one from that dealer. And yes, they had to ship it to him. And that cost him about a grand, but he saved like seven grand uh, because he was diligent. And uh, so if you want something bad enough and you really don't want to pay some of the exorbitant prices, maybe you can look around and follow that lead. And this particular dealer says they're doing it. They're shipping vehicles all over the country. So there are dealers out there trying to make money in this by selling more vehicles, but at lower prices. And you don't even have to go to that extreme. Just call to the next closest dealership because there's no set market number no. that they're all working with. I mean, you, it might even just be a couple hundred dollars, but Hey, I mean, take every thing you can get because chances are, if you, if you can find somebody who, and they're going to want to compete, they'll be like, all right, well, I'll take a thousand off of what that is, what they're trying to get from you. And then you go back to the dealer you're currently working with, and then they'll be like, they'll either meet it or they don't. And then, Hey, you walk out and go find the other one. There's still deals to be had. I think that's good advice. Just anytime uh, that even in, even in, not this very weird uh, car buying time that we live in. If you don't like a dealer, if they're not giving you a good enough deal, go to somebody else. Absolutely. Hey, we've got a question from Anthony and this is a very, very good question. And I'm not, I don't think it's one we've talked about before. He says, I've always understood the roughest time. I'll start again. I've always understood the roughest thing to happen to an engine, and we are talking about an internal combustion engine, is the startup. So is the auto stop start technology that's on so many new vehicles shortening the life of your internal combustion engine? Anyone have an opinion? This was a, this was a great question, John. And um, really the, 
the answer is kind of interesting. Um, found out some interesting stuff doing doing um, some research into this. Um, but they said on uh, in a normal vehicle, a vehicle without auto stop start, you might um, start your vehicle. I think it was like uh, fifty thousand times. Um, but with auto stop start, it will it, the that number is closer to five hundred thousand times. So wow, that is a times. lot. That's a yeah. lot. Um, but the answer is that everything within those starting components has been improved in order to deal with the load of, of having to start your vehicle, um, almost 10 times more, uh, than you typically would. Um, there's more, uh, lubrications and, um, everything is, has been, become a bit more durable so that it can, um, you know, handle, um, turning off and on. And of course, if that's something that you're worried about in your car, there's usually a handy dandy button to turn it off. Not always. Usually. Some have gotten rid of the buttons. Um, but really? I would say too, uh, there's a big difference between the cold start and an auto stop start. Like it was 17 degrees in my house this morning, going out there and starting up my vehicle versus, starting it after it's been off for 20 seconds at a stoplight that's a big difference on the wear and tear on that startup the engine's already warm everything there's still oil in the cylinder walls uh etc and uh manufacturers take that into account now because you'll get into a car uh and it's cold morning and you hit your first stoplight in the first couple of minutes it won't even stop it won't stop it'll tell you that, hey, I'm not shutting the engine off because it's not up to temperature or it's too cold. So that is taken into an account. Uh, but this is all based on what manufacturers are telling us. We've beefed up the starters. We've, uh, you know, the, that's why you're using synthetic oil in basically every engine now. Uh, the tolerances are much lower now. Uh, we won't really know until they complete some longitudinal studies. It just hasn't been out long enough to really give a concrete answer where they've been able to test, you know, this engine over 500,000 miles or I mean, 100, 200,000 miles versus this non or nearly identical engine without the feature. I mean, it's just, it hasn't quite been long enough yet, or at least there aren't any studies that I know of yet that have made a real uh, or have given a real answer. Yeah, and I think time is also another thing because you know, all, all new vehicles go through, uh, uh, tens of hundreds of thousands of miles of testing, um, really, uh, before they are come to us that, to to, to do our testing. Um, so I think there's also, even though they can probably, some of these vehicles are being driven up upwards of like 200,000 miles in their initial testing, 200,000 miles in uh, 10, 15 years. Well, that's a little bit different engine conditions. Where do you live, uh, et cetera. So um, yeah, no, I think Greg has a great point. We, we won't really know um, probably for a few more years. Thank you all good comments. Anthony, I hope that answers your question. Uh, before we get to our rant and raves, our long-term fleet vehicles that we have in for anywhere from six months to a year. Sometimes during the pandemic, we actually had one for almost a year and a half. Greg, you want to kind of bring us up to date on what's going on there? Sure. I'll start with the one that I'm currently driving right now, which I haven't been in 
uh, since it first came out a few years ago when Toyota invited me out to, where'd they bring me? Like Ojai Valley, maybe, uh, when they released the current version of the uh, Toyota Prius Prime, uh, which Prime, if you're unfamiliar, for Toyota means it's a plug-in. So it's still a hybrid like other pre-I, pre I guess is the official <laughs> term, which was confirmed by a Toyota representative. I should let you know. Uh, I had that confirmed. It's pre-I. Um, so this one's a, a plug-in hybrid, gets about 25 miles of EV range. When we're plugging it in regularly, uh, we're finding, uh, at least judging by comments from other drivers on our staff, it's taken care of most of our driving duties, honestly. Now, I haven't been plugging it in much because I don't really have a reliable place to plug it in. Um, and I, I do a lot of highway driving. So I uh, haven't been plugging it in. So our fuel economy has dipped a little bit. It was up at like over 66 miles per gallon. That's including, you know, our plugins and everything. Uh, but it's down a little bit to like 64. Uh, still really, really good. Um, That's because of me, because I took two long trips in it. Uh, and no, the highway mileage comes down. I haven't helped it either. I've been on the highway a lot lately without plugging it in. Um, the, the two things I would note, um, one thing I really like about it is the uh, it handles better than it has any right to. I mean, the only thing holding it back really from being like a really fun car to drive is its tires. I mean, you can take a, take a an off ramp at like, I don't know, I won't put a number on it, but uh, faster <laughs> than you should. Good, and, good. Uh, I mean, it's just like constantly squealing the tires when it really shouldn't be, but it, like it can handle it. The chassis can handle it. It's just you need better tires. Um, and then the, the downside is its screen. And this was one of the, there, it was an answer at the time to Tesla's big screen. Uh, it's just not very well executed, in my opinion. Uh, it's kind of hard to see. It's easy to get glare on it, uh, mm -hmm. especially when the sun's low this time of year. So that's the downfall. Otherwise, a super nice vehicle. And, and Toyota just knocks hybrids out of the park i mean it's why we refer to basically all hybrids as a prius it's kind of like the whole kleenex thing we're like the best yeah. one you know the ipod thing uh, a couple other ones i haven't driven as much lately um the cross trek i don't know who has that now is that uh scrivener i think he has that yeah uh that one's averaging 30 miles per gallon and it's just i mean whenever we have a cross trek in we've had a lot of long terms but we've been lucky uh this is easily the best one we've had it's a sport trim uh, which is new. Uh, so some gunmetal finishes, um, a more powerful engine slightly, uh, you know, Subaru doesn't like to dole out the power very much, but uh, they gave us a little bit more, which is very welcome. Again, 30 miles per gallon. And it's just, it's awesome to have a vehicle that's just so rugged minded. And this time of year when there's snow on the ground, mud, whatever, you just hop in and the, the upholstery, which is StarTex upholstery. I mean, it just repels any kind of mud or anything you can throw on it. So that's nice um if anybody feel free to jump in on their experiences but i'm going to hop over to the tlx which is probably the the, the crowd favorite at motor week uh we have a tlx a spec uh, to get the fuel economy out of the way it's 24.9 and that's out of a very stout like 270 some horsepower um mm -hmm. turbo four cylinder and uh that's obviously why we all like it it's yeah. very quick it's, <laughs> it's so fun to drive cruiser. Yeah. It's so fun. And it's not, and it's an A spec and we're not talking about a type S where like the suspension is really taut. I mean, it's, it's, it's more sport oriented than a regular TLX, but not over the top. It's we've talked about it or we talked about it earlier. I think just finding that middle ground and that's what the A spec is really nice appearance package. Ours is a beautiful red color. 
uh, which is contrasted by the dark wheels. Uh, just a really striking vehicle. A uh, little, little tight in the back when I try to throw the kids and uh, you know, literally throw my kids in the back. They don't like that, but you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but if, if we need more space, I just, I, uh, I sign up for the Pathfinder, which is relatively new. We haven't put a, a full mileage loop on it yet because we're still low on mileage. Uh, but uh, we got around 23, over 23 miles per gallon combined in our road test. And I don't think we'll have any issues hitting that super nice interior uh i think it's probably the best suv interior that nissan's put forth so far um plenty of space it, it doesn't drive big but it is a big vehicle three rows and um speaking of nissan we are now welcoming an outlander and if you are unsure of what i'm alluding to uh, Mitsubishi has partnered with uh, Nissan for this Outlander and they're using the Rogue as a basis for the Outlander. Um, so we've had Outlanders in the past. Everybody here has driven the uh, the PHEV that we had for a long time. I think, John, you said we had one for a year and a half. I think it, it was that one. It was one. longer. It was, it was like longer than that. close yeah. to two years. And, yeah, uh, I think and it, was over, it was more like two and a half. Yeah. I, <laughs> I hear, I can hear the groans from our audience who <laughs> is listening. It, the, it was, but we loved it. You can't you knock know, the was, Outlander plug-in hybrid until you, you drive can't. it. That's right. I think we all were pleasantly surprised with it. There's no plug-in with this one yet. Um, like I said, it's it's um, a lot of similarities to a Rogue. Uh, so it does use a CVT and or a transmission still, sorry. 2.5 liter I-4, 181 horsepower, 181 pound-feet of torque. So not the quickest thing. Again, the CVT is not super pleasant, uh, but what is pleasant is the interior Again, Nissan, uh, with that uh, influence there, you're getting a much, much nicer interior, which was, was, which was our big um, complaint about the previous Outlander. It just wasn't very nice on the inside. Uh, this one, I think, solves that. Nice center screen, beautiful 12-inch digital gauge cluster, which is uh, optional over a 7-inch standard one. Ours is pretty much maxed out SEL trim, uh, and it still comes in under forty grand, around thirty-seven you know, thousand. Mm -hmm. yep. Compared to the Rogue, I thought I think it's tuned a little sportier. Uh, the ride's a little uh, firmer, uh, which if you live in bad roads, that's not a good thing. But I really enjoyed it, and a lot of people look at it and think it's not very big. But I had four uh, full-size adults, and we went quite a distance in it, and everybody in the back was very comfortable. And I guess the nicest thing is, even though it's based on the Rogue, it doesn't look like a Rogue. It looks like its own vehicle. So I thought the Mitsubishi people had done a good job of taking a good vehicle and interpreting it differently and coming out with something uh, unique to their brand. I see plenty of them on the road already. Uh, I think yeah. buyers are taking to them because the price point is just there. I mean, it's. I think you get a lot of a lot for the money. Uh, we're talking Agreed. about a sub $40,000 SUV with all wheel drive. I mean, with the, like I said, the 12 inch digital gauge cluster, all the features you want. Uh, I just think they're, they're doing the right things and I can't wait to drive it. I guess I'll be taking it this coming Sunday down to our stomping grounds in Savannah. So I'll have nine hours to get familiar with it. You should know it well by then. Yeah. The one, I think the one thing is, um, it, it it they flaunt like a third row that's like not really a third row in that outlander it's 
I tried to sit back there and I had to sit crisscross nah. applesauce. Yeah. It's for, it's for, it's for small children. I, I had to sit crisscross applesauce. I mean, I, 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 not to say that I'm the size of a small child, but I'm not much bigger than a I was going to say, I, I didn't want to yeah. throw any shades toward you, but you're not a whole lot bigger because I've gotten in the driver's seat behind you and I have physically not been able to get in the seat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 like I said, I don't know who is functional. Like even like you can't even fit a leg. I don't know. I, 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 think I keep it's back all there agile. again. People like to have the option. <laughs> Yeah, it's emergency use only. It's nice to know, like all-wheel drive, you don't need it every day. But if when you do need it, you'll be glad you have it. I haven't driven the Outlander yet, so I don't can't comment on that. But I do have some breaking news for you, Greg. Uh, just, <laughs> I just did the. Uh, You're first, gonna meet uh, me at south of the border, and we can switch cars. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sure you don't want to drive the cargo van. I'm sure that's why. I, I did it. I did now. it last time, man. But it's actually um, not bad. The, <laughs> I just did the first mileage loop on the uh, pathfinder and we came in at 20.2 which is i think a little low uh oh man from what you were saying Ooh. but uh we're still getting it broken in and i think that's pretty much all community uh type driving so i'm sure that'll go up yeah i drove it briefly on the highway and i was up to i was doing about almost 25 so it's got it'll do it mm. it's also good color that pathfinder yeah oh yeah yeah it's i nice had somebody gray. uh I had a few people comment on how nice the color is. And I, <laughs> this sounds terrible, but we drive so many cars. I honestly don't look at the color sometimes. <laughs> so it's like, people will tell me like, oh, it's a beautiful color. And I have to like, put my head out the window to see what it is. Or, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll be going to pick up like a target order and they'll be like, what color is your car? I'll be like, oh, uh, good question. <laughs> you should see my like, um, my like Chick-fil-A app. And it's like you put you input like the color and the the type of vehicle you have, and it's just full of a plethora uh, that I just haven't deleted yet. In you know, all sorts of third world stuff. problems, man. Yeah, yeah, stuff you would yeah. never. Yeah, you guys exactly. got tough life, man. Tough yeah, life. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> Robinson, don't act like you don't have the same issues we do. <laughs> so, anybody got another rant and rave? That's that's a pretty good start. That's a, that's a good question. Um, oh, I'll do I'll do a little bit of a rant that right. is um and I maybe we've talked about it before, but it's sort of on tune with uh, our long terms. But and maybe I've just been having a realization because I had the TLX long term uh, over Christmas time. And I really love that car, actually. I think if I was in the market for a luxury sedan, that and I had $45,000 to spend on a vehicle, I would probably buy a TLX. And but one of the big things that it, people harp on it is and Acura's in general is that touchpad that it has oh, yeah. on the interior, and people don't like it. But you know, and it's one thing that when we're testing cars, a lot of times we're sort of like, you know, uh, one of us might have a car for like a one evening um or two evenings but the long terms are better in the fact that like with a break you might have the car for like a week or maybe even two and i wanna i mean i think i drove like 300 miles in the tlx and i did not mind the touchpad i didn't mind it at all it's not hard to, to it. it's not hard to use 
I plug my phone in and I think moving forward, Acura really is starting to have uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto wirelessly standard on their vehicles. I'm pretty sure on the MDX, um, CarPlay and, and Android Auto, Auto is wireless. Um, it's not in our TLX, so you have to plug it in, but not a big deal. But I'm, I'm mostly just using that interface the entire time. And it has a volume knob and it has a skip feature. So I hardly ever touch the touchpad. And when I do, it's very briefly. I'm not really thinking about it. And maybe even sometimes it discourages me from using it because it is kind of annoying sometimes it's when you're driving, when you're sitting still, not so much. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing to discourage people from using the infotainment as long as something like CarPlay and you have physical knobs and buttons that kind of ease, um, you know, using the infotainment and the important parts of the infotainment. I think that actually makes it safer. Yeah, yeah, voice, voice recognition is too. Voice recognition. Yeah, John, I remember a few years ago. It could have even been on a podcast, but uh, I think you had mentioned that you think you thought we were really moving into voice recognition and being able to command things we want to do. And that was like, I I thought that was a little bit premature because like the best thing we had was like Chevy's version, and it would like it just it could really only do a few things. Uh, but now I think we are like very quickly heading toward. Uh, a time where you can just talk to your car literally and do things like change the climate, which I've done in the Mercedes yeah. S class. It doesn't have to be just luxury cars. I Toyota. Mean, you can do like, yeah, to Toyota, very specific things where you're like, um, set the uh, passenger temperature to 68 degrees, set fan mm-hmm. speed to 50%. I mean, we're talking about like very specific things, not just like call Steve or whatever. So mm-hmm. we're, we're moving that way where the, even the, the great things like Audi's MMI and BMW's iDrive are really going to be the redundancies. You know, the, um, I, I think it's particularly important with all these big screens because most of them, we talked about a lot of them, this podcast, and some are easy to use, some are aren't. And, you know, when you've got to hit a screen three or four times to do what you normally would with one button, that's not very efficient. But on the other hand, you've got the voice recognition that usually is easier to use than the screen uh, for an awful lot of stuff, particularly, you know, climate and, and stereo. So, yeah, I think we have to thank people like uh, also uh, like you know um, Google and uh, Amazon for you know more or less perfecting voice recognition and Mercedes the latest Mercedes system is is truly amazing. So yeah, I do think in the end maybe voice recognition is going to be the safest way to go, but we'll see. And it's certainly I, uh, not gesture control like BMW uh, was trying to get away. Oh with. yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I remember. I think the first time I drove the S class, um, they, they, they sort of give you a little preliminary, uh, tutorial on how to work things. And they turned hey, on one of, yeah, the Hey Mercedes. <laughs> and they turned on uh, one of the scents. They have scents in oh, the yeah. S class. And it was, I was driving it for like three hours. So like, Did you get maybe a bad one? an out. No, no, no. I would no, Cause it was the Mybox scent. They have a specific. That's Mybox right. They scent. do. 
Describe but, that for me. What would you say <laughs> is in a mile? It's definitely like a men's cologne for sure. It's just screams luxury. It does. Yeah. Uh, you're, to you're me, pro- I don't think you're wrong. I think you've just nailed it on the head. I, the, oh, that was the best way to, but I think an hour into that drive, I was like, I got to turn, turn it down. off. So I think I said, Hey, I Mercedes. And you, and you can, you can turn yeah. it down. Luckily. I said, hey, Hey, Mercedes turn off scent, you know, just cars are crazy. Cars are amazing. Nobody believes what we do Although, for a living. I, I hate to keep going. We can end it now, but one more thing. It's, it's so good that I had uh, Apple CarPlay read uh, a text to me in which somebody oh, yeah. said Mercedes and then the system then heard that, my series oh, say Mercedes, and then it almost started this whole conversation. So, there, I mean, we're there are a few bugs to work out, uh, but you know, we're we're going the in the right direction. Oh no, That's, actually, Greg, in the same vein, when I was driving the SL, we had we had driving partners, so you almost can't even talk about Mercedes. Yep. You can't even say the word had Mercedes that too. when you're talking to. We had to call person. it the M word or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cars talking to our cell phones and them having a conversation. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a new one. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I want to thank Brian Robinson, our two-wheeling reporter, our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos, our digital producer, Jessica Ray, who's also the producer of the podcast. Thank you all for joining us today. And hey, out there, if you want more Motor Week, hop on over to our website at motorweek.org. If you're looking for where you can find Motor Week on your local public television station, up in the right corner, pull down about the show, put in your zip code, your city, or your state, and get our current listings. Also, over on MAV TV, our cable partner, uh, they air new shows every week. You can go to MAVTV.com and see their listings. You can watch uh, almost everything we have done for the last 10 years in all of our current segments uh, on our YouTube.com slash MotorWeek channel. And of course, you can stream entire episodes for free at pbs.org slash motorweek. And I could go on from there, but I'm going to stop. If you've got a screen, you can be a part of Motorweek. Thanks one and all. And thank you out there. Be safe. And thanks for being a part of Motorweek. You've been listening to the podcast of Motorweek, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.